Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. If you have your Bibles, I will ask you to join me in Galatians 5. <clears throat> and we are going to verse verses 22 and 23. What a tremendous atmosphere. Aren't you thankful that you came to church? Praise God. That's why every service is important. There's no such thing as an off night. Amen. Don't come to church on Wednesday with a toothpick in your mouth. Amen. <laughs> Let me say it again. Don't come to church on Wednesdays with a toothpick in your mouth. Amen. We're not just, it's not just us. We're not here just to chew the fat. But we're here to have church every time those doors are open because we never know what need is in the house. But God knows. And he can meet that need. And I'm thankful to be serving a, a God that uh, like that. In Galatians 5 and 22, the Bible said, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Verse 23, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And so this evening we're going to continue our study on the fruit of the Spirit. I began last Wednesday night just as in kind of an introduction, talking about character. But I truly want to continue because I, I believe that the fruit of the Spirit is all wrapped up in Christian character. Amen. I, I truly believe that. And so let's ask the Lord to just touch this word to our heart tonight. And when we're seated, don't disconnect, but let's stay connected all the way to the end. May the Lord bless you and you can be seated. This evening I want to talk about two specific subjects and uh, the first thing that I want to discuss is our purpose because I believe that, that we as, a, as an individual and certainly collectively have a purpose. We're, we're not just here to take up space. We're not just here to make requests. And we're certainly not just here for God to bless us. But we're here for a purpose. I believe that everybody has a purpose and a role to play in the kingdom of God. And so if I can make that more specific, let me say it this way. I believe that everybody has a place and a role to fulfill in the local church. And uh, everybody can't do all one job. And everybody shouldn't do every, everyone do the same thing. But we can, when we can all find our place within the kingdom and then operate there without intimidation... And just allow the Lord to use us as he well pleases. Then we see what God can do, not only in our lives individually, but what God can do collectively. There are so many ministries, or I use the word ministries a lot in church because I believe that we all have a ministry. There are so many ministries within the church that are seen and heard. And they're, they're right up front, pretty public. It's not hard to define certain roles or ministries within the church. 
But there are multitude of ministries that are what I refer to as hidden hands. They're just people that are working in the background. That makes them no less important. That makes them no less significant to the presence of the Lord. I'm thankful that when we get to church that we have someone to lead us, uh, people that have the ability to lead us in worship. I'm glad for our praise and worship singers and our musicians and things of that nature that may be a little more evident when we are in our corporate worship services. But I want to tell you equally important to that are the people whose names are called upon when in the middle of the week or the middle of the night, in the middle of the day, when it is not Wednesday or not Sunday, and there is a crisis, I'm thankful for those I'm, I'm thankful for those prayer warriors that we can contact who will, who will have already committed to stop wherever they are as best, as best they can and, and call upon the name of the Lord and intercede for those needs. And so they are no less important than anybody you may see or hear on a regular basis. As a matter of fact, at your moment of crisis, they may take a leading role if somebody can really get a hold of the uh, the hand of God, the ear of God, so to speak, on our behalf. And so I, I want us to really understand that we have a purpose. A part of the purpose is not just to find a title or not just to find, uh, you know, some, something we can pin on our lapel or something that defines us uh, from the rest of the group. But I believe as a, a great part of our purpose as children of God would be to bear fruit. I believe that God has intended for all of us and purpose for all of us in our lives to bear fruit or to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. I believe you ought to be able to tell just by our conversation, by our demeanor, our characteristics, by how we carry ourselves and conduct ourselves that the Spirit of God abides in our heart. Now, I'm not just talking about acting churchy when you're at church. I'm not just talking about putting on a show when everybody's watching or when we think uh, when we think perhaps, you know, sometimes we're more prone to think God's watching us than we are at other times. But it's in the middle of the day on our job when things aren't going well and uh, that's when we're called on that at that moment to live and, and be just as much a Christian in that moment as we are at any other time. And so if we're saying hallelujah on Sunday and explicitives on Monday, we got a problem. We're not just here to take up space. We're not just here to receive blessings. We're not just here to see what God can do for us and uh, to make all of our needs and supplications known. But we're a voice, a massive voice in the choir of God. And I believe that God needs to be able to count on us in a time of crisis when things are not going well in our lives. You know, it's in that season of our life when we don't hear God speak. That God's got to be able to count on us to continue to do the right thing. You know, we're, we're kind of spoiled to the era of the GPS. And uh, so we, we highly depend on those. If they're not built into your automobile, you probably have one on your phone or your uh, tablet of some sort. And so we are uh, kind of, we're kind of spoiled to that mindset. And we put the address in and, and uh, for the first few miles or the first few turns you know we get a lot of instructions but after you get going you don't hear anything for a little while and sometimes it's during that little bit of downtime that you can just hope everything's going all right 
But until you get closer to your next turn or closer to your next exit, you're not going to hear a word. And that's just how God is. Amen. Sometimes, you know, it would be nice if the GPS would just say, right out of the clear blue, you're doing a great job. (laughs) You're really something. But it just doesn't happen that way. With something with most that I'm familiar with, it's only until about 10 miles out. You get the next warning. You may have been driving 100 miles. And sometimes God is the very same way. But he is counting on us to do the right thing. Even in those seasons of silence. That we can have the character. That it can be there. That we can manifest the fruit. And so manifesting fruit in our lives. And I I don't say this at all to uh, instill any frustration in your heart or your life. But I would certainly... Uh, say this to perhaps even put calm there. I think that manifesting fruit in our life is a lifetime process. I don't think you, you just get the Holy Ghost one day and then all of a sudden, voila, you just have all the answers and you have all the characteristics and you have all those traits. I think we ought to be growing in Him. I'm not wanting to disconnect anybody from the process of sanctification or the desire of such. But I believe that there are... Uh, there is a there's an ongoing process in our lives of um, of the manifestation of the spirit in the presence of God. There's the planting and the nourishing when it comes to a literal seed or fruit, and the cultivating and the harvesting, and then the reproduction of that, and it just cycles again and again and again. And so, when this process is active in our lives, we have a sense of accomplishment and a sense of fulfillment. And you realize not to pat ourselves on the back or to think that we're anything that we're not or we're greater than we truly are. But I'm thankful for the achievements in my life. And I think it's all right for you to say amen about the achievements in your life, the accomplishments, the, those growth patterns, those things that you know at one point in your life, even your walk with God, it would have derailed you. But now you've got your hand on the Lord. And it's not to say that you're not filled at times with trepidation or some concern. But, but you realize that God really has this. And so we see those growth moments in our life. And it's a sense of accomplishment. It's important to understand that the Lord is the vine. And we are a just, we're just a branch of that. We're an offshoot of that. John 15 and 1, the Bible says, I am the true vine. And, the, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This is the scripture in verse 4 is important. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except you abide in me. Amen. I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit for without me you can do nothing. And so I, I take consolation in this that God has appointed me to be the branch. And I'm thankful that I'm not the vine. I'm just a part of the vine. I'm part of that. And it's the work of the vine. Namely Jesus Christ that is responsible. I'm thankful for what we felt here in this service already. I want to tell you what we felt wasn't just an end result of the branch. It was an end result of the vine. You've got to be connected to the right thing. It's important what we are connected to because, because what we're connected to is going to allow the fruit to be born in our life. 
I'm not in, trying to insult anybody's intelligence, but apple trees don't produce oranges. Grape vines don't produce figs. Pear trees don't produce peaches. I mean, we, we need to produce the fruit of the Spirit. If we call ourselves a Christian, that's a word that is dangerously, loosely used in our, in our society today. But if we're going to call ourselves a child of God, then we need to be a child of God. At home, in church, on the job, no matter where we are, in the vehicle, riding down the road by ourselves. If we're going to be an apostolic, born-again, Holy Ghost-filled believer, then we need to be that, not just as we dance about here on Sunday or Wednesday, but every day of our lives. Amen. If I'm going to be an apostolic man at church, I need to be an apostolic man at home. Amen. If I'm going to be an apostolic preacher on Wednesday, I better be an apostolic husband when I get home. Is that all right? Amen. The fruit of the Spirit. And so the fruit that we bear in our life ought to be consistent with the seed that's placed in us. And so if it, if it looks like an apple, it ought to taste like an apple. Amen. And so we're not asked to create something new. We're not asked to create something unique. We are asked to bear the fruit of what he already is. And so I don't have to try to figure out what should I be today. I just need to be like him. Amen. I don't have to try to come up with something unique, put some little spin, some new flare, some new flash on something. Amen. I just want to be, I want to be committed. If I can use the word loosely here, I want to be addicted to the word of God. Amen. Church is not a dog and pony show. This is not some kind of presentation where you come in. It's a spectator sport where you just sit down and you watch somebody else perform in front of you. But I believe that we ought to come to the house of God and we ought to give the Lord the very best that we have. Each and every one of us. Not just those that are visible, but we ought to give the Lord the very best of everything. And we ought to be committed, so committed to the Word that until the Word is all it takes. I don't want, it, I don't want to ever get to the place. We, we live in a, in a very entertainment-driven society. And so entertainment is everywhere. There, and, it, and so we are, if we're not careful, the church can slide into that mode where we feel like that we've got to entertain. But if the Word is not enough to sustain us, we're all in trouble. I want, to be, I want to be rooted and grounded in the Word. If nothing else happens in church but the Word goes forth, we've had church. Amen. If nothing, nothing else, if everything else fell through the cracks but the Word of God was there and it was evident, then we have had church. And so I don't want to feel some kind of pressure to be something unique or to be something out of the ordinary. I, I don't know if, uh, how many of you are familiar with the Strong's Concordance or would use those even in your study, but I've often uh, encouraged people who are preaching that the Strong's Concordance is going to give you uh, many definitions of a word. And uh, the, most, uh, the most accurate definition of each word, of course, is the, is the first few words you begin to read. And then as you get further away, many, many definitions, it can in some instances mean this. And so what I'm, I'm hoping I'm making a, a decent point here, I don't want to try to get to the end of all of that to try to create some flash or flare and come up with something brand new. I just want to preach the Word. I want the Word to move me, the truth, the solidified truth of God's Word to be enough to hold me and maintain me, sustain me, and carry me through. 
And so I think as a congregation, we don't need to get addicted to an entertainment mindset where we just kind of sit back and we judge and grade the song or we judge and grade the music or we judge and grade the, the, the speaker, amen, or the Word of God. If it's the Word, it's the Word. Amen. It is the Word and it will sustain us. Amen. I'm thankful for the fruit. I want to just bear in my life what He already is. We are to bear His Spirit. That was what was planted in us when we received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And it's the character of the Spirit, of that Spirit, that should be reproduced in us. I'm thankful for the Spirit of God. We have a purpose. And that purpose is to demonstrate, not to parrot but to demonstrate the power and the presence of God. God has changed lives of people in this building. I am one of them. Amen. Brother Osborne a moment ago told us in our worship, admonished us, I should say, maybe in our worship to raise our hands and thank God without put our own words to it, what we're thankful for, what we're appreciative, or at least that's how I heard it. And I said, I just thought about this. I said, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a defining moment in my life when I was 17 years old in August of 1979 where I was on the fence trying the pull of the world was one way but the pull of heaven was another way. I'm thankful for that defining moment in my life where God gave me the courage, the boldness, the whatever you want to call it to step and make the right decision and start walking the right way. I'm not perfect. You are well aware of that. I've never claimed to be, but I'm thankful for that defining moment in my life. And so from that moment, I want, I want people to be able to, to detect, to tell, to say, there is a difference. There is a difference. There's something different. What is that? It's not Steve. It is the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that's in my life. And so when, uh, you, you know, just like every piece of fruit, it's important to understand, I think, let me make this point before I move any further, that it's important to understand that even though the scripture lists nine different things, he's not talking about nine different pieces of fruit. Amen. I know sometimes even I've been guilty in times past of using images and things of that nature of fruit basket, talking about the fruits of the Spirit, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's one fruit with nine different aspects. Each fruit has different aspects. When you pick it up, every piece of fruit, there's different things that we consider when you look at a piece of fruit. There may be the stem or the peeling and the flesh of, of, the, of the fruit. There may be the seeds and, and the pulp and different things of that. But, but when all of the fruit is in order, when it is where it is supposed to be, when everything is as it should be, then the fruit at that moment is in a position to be used for its intended purpose. But the stem needs to be where the stem goes, and the peeling needs to be where the peeling goes. The flesh needs to be where the flesh goes. The pulp needs to be where the... But when it's all in place, it's at that moment. <laughs> it's at that moment that we realize this can be used for its intended purpose purpose. I mean, when you go to the grocery store, I'm pretty confident uh, the ladies or anybody who may go uh, through the fruit department, uh, the produce department, when you're, when you're 
choosing your fruit. You don't just walk through there with your eyes closed, but you want to pick it up. You want to look around it. You want to examine it. I want to make sure that this is going to be worth the investment and that this is going to be able to be used for its intended purpose. And so by the same token, there are various aspects of the Spirit of God. Therefore, when these aspects are all in order then we're available, then and only then, for God to use us for our intended purpose. Amen. You know, there's, there's a great, uh, I think a great analogy of this when you think about a choir singing. Uh, a choir, some are soprano, some are lead, some are tenor. Amen. And, and so here are various parts uh, that are singing in the choir. Some singing one line, another singing another line, so to speak, in some instances. But you see, everybody is working for one goal. Everybody's not saying the same thing or singing the same exact thing, but it's all coming together. And so there's going to be diversities of gifts and diversities of ministries and diversities of spirits, uh, so to speak, within the church. But God uses all of these identifying marks of the church to help it all come together as one. I'm thankful for the church. Amen. I'm glad that God has had looked down and, and could see something in each and every one of us to say, I can use that for this purpose. I can use this individual to accomplish this particular goal. I mean, you know, God calls us to certain things. I'm thankful for the call of God upon my life, but you ought to be thankful for the call of God upon your life. And whatever it is, we ought to try to flourish in that calling. Amen. In the Greek, the word fruit means to pluck or to take. And from this definition, we can see that fruit of the Spirit is is not automatically given. There has to be action on our part, or we've got to be involved in the process, in other words. God is not going to coerce us into anything. He's not going to twist our arm into something, but He will lead us and guide us. And we have to yield ourselves to His will, and we have to deny our will in many cases. It is there for the taking, but it's up to us to get it. It's up to us to allow that to be manifest in our lives. I can't keep snuffing it out by making the same mistakes over and over and over again. And then I'm thankful for the power of the Spirit of God to work in our life. Amen. The very first thing that we find listed in the book of Galatians 5 and 22 the very first aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is the word love. Now, the word love or the topic of love is such a broad, broad subject. And I've often said, I suppose every time I broach the subject, that we could never exhaust this. and We couldn't exhaust this in a year, much less in one sitting here tonight. But I believe that everything about the kingdom of God ought to begin with love. Amen. The Bible talks about preaching the truth. Oh, what a mandate there is upon our lives to preach the truth. But the Scripture says we need to preach that truth in love. It doesn't mean that we need to negate our responsibilities when it comes to truth, but there needs to be a blanket of love. All right, Delaney said, Love builds bridges where there are none. And oh, how true that is. To be able to say, I'm going to love I'm going to love. And that ought to, be the, that ought to be the thrust in everybody's heart. I've heard men, uh, one woman in particular say many years ago, speaking of a, a, a lady that was so lost, if I can use that, you know what I'm talking about, just seemed so wrapped up in sin. But she said, I, I'm going to love her to the Lord. And she indeed loved her to the Lord. 
Scripture teaches us that there are three different types of love. Eros love, which is a sensual love. We, re- we find this kind of love not just manifest in our day, but we can find it in Scripture. We can find that defined, or we can find that characteristic in the love that Adam had for Eve, or that Jacob had for Rachel. We find that love uh, referred to in the book of Song of Solomon, and various other passages throughout Scripture. And then there is the filio love. Amen. This uh, love refers to a spontaneous Or a natural affection. It's the kind of love that maybe a friend has for a friend. The church at Philadelphia had this kind of love for their brethren. And then there is agape love. That love is affectionate. It's a benevolent love, if I could use that word. It's the agape love that Paul refers to in Galatians 5 and 22. It's not just some... Uh, some superficial love, but a very deep love and a meaningful love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. This love goes beyond our love for God, and it deals with our love for people. Because, you see, you can't say we love God and not love people and be right. Amen. We can't just love God and not love people. We have to love people. Jesus referred to the absence of this kind of love In Matthew 24 and 12, when he said, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And so he's saying that when a person gives their life over to sin and over to iniquity, that their love and their concern for other people begins to get cold and it begins to get distant. And so we have to make sure that 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 characteristic, that trait is not given room to grow in our life. He told his disciples, I I referred to this Sunday, but he told his disciples in, in John 13 and 35, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. I know we hear that so often until, if we're not careful, that will just be like water off a duck's back, as they say. But I'm telling you this evening that that is the identifying mark of the church, is that we have a true compassion for one another. You know, we've read shocking stories in the, uh, in the news, and, and uh, this is nothing new. It has happened as long as man has been walking the earth, but not long ago, another sim- a similar story uh, kind of came back to the news again about where somebody was just beaten to death on a sidewalk in New York City while literally hundreds of people walked by. And nobody wants to get involved. Nobody wants to be a part of it. Nobody, you know, everybody just kind of doing their own thing, walking around the scene. Uh, Some of this was captured even on a surveillance video. And if you can imagine people just walking by, the lack of love or compassion for people that are truly in need. Uh, By this shall all men know that you're mine. It's not how you look, but it's how you treat one another. Amen. I believe that there will be a look about the church. I believe there will be a difference. There will be an act of separation in our lives. But I'm going to tell you the love of God is what should be manifest. Our testimony or our witness, maybe another word to use there, is enhanced when we manifest love to one another. In John 15 and 12, Jesus gives further instruction. He, he said, this is my commandment. And we're taking this to another level now. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And so if I can love you, then you ought to be able to love them. Amen. 
And so he said, I want to bring this all in focus. You love one another just like I love you. And so could we imagine for just a moment, and I realize this may be an idealistic statement, but can you imagine just for a moment what would happen in our lives, in our families, in our churches, in our communities, if we just got a hold of that kind of love and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to have compassion. I'm going to love one another. I'm talking about straight across the board. Can you imagine how much different our world would be? I I know I'm reaching for the stars tonight, but I'm just challenging our thoughts. What would our world be if everybody would love one another as Christ loved the church? Amen. Just think about that for a moment. Undeniably, the only thing that will bring that kind of transformation in our life is the love of God manifested not only in us, but through us. And so to be clear, I'm not talking about some superficial, charismatic love that we so often see displayed, but I'm talking about a real, genuine love where you don't just think about it, but you get up and do something. You can't say to someone, cold, be warm. you got to take them a coat. You can't say to somebody that's hungry, be filled. you got to take them some food. You can't, take, you can't say to somebody thirsty, just let your thirst be quenched. You've got to take them a cup of water. Amen. Something has to be done. Something has to be done. And so I'm talking about true love, deep love. How far would you go for someone that you really love? How far would you go? Too many people have cheapened uh, real love by just frivolously using the term, I love you. When in fact, that's not really how they feel. But they just use the term, I love you. They speak the words, but there is no underlying connection. There's no real attachment. There's no real manifestation of that. I would rather somebody show me they love me then just tell me they love me. Amen. I know I'm not alone in that. Amen. Don't, if, you're, if you're not going to show it, don't say it. Because those are just three words you formed a little sentence with and tossed out there. Amen. But, but let's do something about it. Let's show it. And so if we say we love the world, we got to do something about it. We can't just come here and have a little bit of church ourselves and high-five one another and talk about how much better we feel. But we've got to take this to the streets. We've got to take this to those who can't come to us or those who don't have access to come here. Amen. I've got to take it to them. I've got to share this. I've got to let my light shine no matter where I am. Amen. I want to act on that. I want to manifest that in my life. Amen. I'm thankful for love. The book of, uh, the book of Luke chapter 11 verse 42, Jesus condemned the Pharisees because he said unto them, woe unto you Pharisees, for ye tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. All these ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. He said, you've got the cart ahead of the horse. He mean, he said, you got this thing turned around. He wasn't saying what you're doing is wrong. He mean, he said, you need to do this. Don't leave the other undone. But he said, you would have been so much better off to have done the what is right first. In other words, their actions of love were, were just predicated upon what's in this for me. I know I've said this many times, but I'm going to tell you, you've never lived until you've done something for somebody who has no means of thanking you or giving anything back. They can thank you, but they have no means of repaying you. 
whenever you can do something for somebody who has no possible way to even the score, to tilt the scales. Amen. Oh, what a feeling. You see, the Pharisees only loved what would bring a blessing to them. I want to put something in so I can get something back. But I'm not into this just putting something in and I got to hope for a better day. But we got to trust the Lord. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 and 6, that we approve ourselves as ministers of God by manifesting, here's an interesting phrase, manifesting unfeigned love. But in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned. Love unfeigned. Love unfeigned, to put that in our language today, is love without hypocrisy. True love. True love. Romans 12 and 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. The word dissimulation means to hide something by pretense. Let love have no underlying motive. <laughs> have you ever, said some, you ever said to someone, I love you, and they said, what do you want? <laughs> whoa, whoa, what's up with you? <laughs> to hide something by pretense. It's in the absence of true love. Real love that those things happen. But let love be without some hidden agenda. Just love. Just love. Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. In other words, don't just pretend to love somebody, but really love them. Really love them. If love is to do her perfect work, then it has to be sincere. It has to be true. It has to be real. You know, uh, there's an old saying we use it a lot of times that you get what you pay for. And many times, uh, some of us have uh, just out of necessity had to, had to just get what we could to get by. Maybe a tool that didn't have, if I could just use that for an example, a tool maybe that wasn't a good quality tool or something. And that was a real good thing until you got your hands on a real good quality tool. Then you realize what you've been missing out on. I've often said that a man is no better than the tools that he has to work with. A man can have all kind of skills and all kind of knowledge but if he doesn't have tools that can meet or at least come close to meeting that kind of giftedness, then uh, a, a man, no matter how gifted he is, if, if, the only, if he's a cabinet maker but the only thing he owns is a chainsaw, I think it's going to show. And so a man is no better than the tools that he has to work with. Work with. And so I, I, want to, I want to not just pretend. I want to be the real thing, that quality thing. And so if love is to have a perfect work, then it must be sincere. Romans 13 and 10, love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is, is, is the fulfilling of the law. Mother Teresa said, said this, if you judge people, then you have no time to love them. If you're going to spend all your time judging them, then you have no time to love them. 2 Corinthians 8 and 8, the Bible says, I speak not by commandment, but by occasion for the forwardness of others and prove the sincerity of your love. I say this not as a command, in other words, but to prove by earnestness of others 
that your love is genuine. This is a love without reason, a love without condition, a love without strings attached. It's just love. Love real. Love pure. Love that is deep. Love that has foundation. It's a love that comes uh, from a sense of duty and principle as to just opposed to rather uh, that as a feeling or a moment of attraction. But it's a love that comes from a sense of duty or a principle. Because when you really love someone, you go the extra mile. Can I get an amen, a nod or something? Amen. You go the extra mile. It's a sense of duty. It's a, it's a sense of principle. I'm going to do what's right and then just a little bit more because I love you. <laughs> you often see that I don't want to offend any fathers here today we got some great fathers here but, but you often see this kind of that sense of love in a mother a mother loves their children and they that, that love or a parent maybe it's not fair to say just a mother but a parent loves their, their, their children and, and it's, it's a sense of duty or a sense of principle. I just want to do this. I want to do this because, because I really love you. I've told this story before, and if you've heard it, don't, please don't think I'm, I'm getting old-timers. I know I'm repeating myself. But we were just laughing about this just to, today or maybe yesterday in our home. But, but uh, uh, year, year, years ago when I was a little boy... My mother and dad wanted to go to a conference somewhere, and so my Aunt Merle had offered to let me stay with them. And so my mother was real hesitant about uh, agreeing to that, and so uh, my Aunt Merle could tell something was, was in the air, and so she was trying to trace down what, what was leading to the hesitance. And so finally my mother confessed. She said, well, now, she said, if you keep him, said every morning when he gets up, he's going to want an egg, but he's not going to eat the egg. He's just going to want you to cook him an egg. And so she said, I get up every day and cook him an egg. And then when he don't eat, I just give it to the dog. I can't even believe my mother would do something. Like I can't believe. And I've told my mom, I just can't believe you would do something like that. But that's the kind of love a mother. My mom always said, well, it was just one egg and it was the dog enjoying it. <laughs> so, that sounds like the rationale of a mother, doesn't it? No, 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 no foul, no harm. So... And so that kind of love, uh, forgive that little story there, but that kind of love, that, that, that principled love, that sense of duty, I just want to do what's, I want to do what's right. And I'm not sure, I, I'm probably a little scarred because I'm not sure that my Aunt Merle fixed me that egg every day. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. She's not here to defend that. Anyway, amen. That, it doesn't mean it's not a love because you're obligated to love. It's a love because you want to love. You desire to love. That's the, it's the opposite. You, you love out of duty. You love out of principle. That's founded in the fact that God loved me totally. And God loved me completely. Therefore, I am compelled to manifest that kind of love. Let me show you what God has revealed to me. Amen. He loved me unconditionally. He loved 
loved me as I was. He loved me with all my flaws, with all my error. I didn't have it all together. Amen. I don't have it all together tonight, but I'm a long way from where I was. But He loved me in that condition. And so when you fully embrace the love of Jesus Christ, it compels you to want to reach out in love. And some say, I just don't know if I could do it. Yes, you can. I don't know if I can make it. Yes, you can. How can you say that? Because God loved me through the process. And we want to love you through the process. And so it's a love that's not stagnant. It's alive, vibrant, and it stays alive, constantly reaching out. I'm not just talking about something that happens after a message on love. Not just talking about something that gets stirred up after a song about love. But I'm talking about something that's just there. It's just there. In Second Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 3.12, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward Toward you, to the end he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. First John three sixteen, the Bible says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? If somebody has a need and we don't help them I realize we can't fix all the world's ills I understand that but he's talking about shutting up our bowels of compassion here's what I take from that when we see somebody in need and we have the capacity to do something about it and withhold that God is measuring that God is watching that. When we have the ability, when we have the power in our hands to change that, and we withhold that. Henry Drummond said this, You'll find as you look back upon your life that the moments when you have really lived are the moments when you've done things in the spirit of love. Those are the moments that you really lived. That speaks of an aspect of agape love. And the fruit of the Spirit, this is a generous love, unselfish, a sacrificial kind of love. It's a love that is given even if it's undeserved. A love that's given, given even if it's misunderstood. It's a love that's given even if it's rejected or trampled on. Or a love that's given even if it's not returned. Now that's a tough one. But you just love. You just love. And it's remarkable how powerful love, real love, true love can be. And so we find this kind of love example for us in Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that same kind of love, we're to, that's the same kind of love that we're to manifest. God loved us knowing that we didn't deserve it. Didn't deserve it. God loved us knowing that some would reject it. He loved us even though he knew some would misunderstand it. Martin Luther King Jr. was quoted as saying, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And so when we grasp the great magnitude of undeserved love of God in our lives, it becomes the pattern for love in our lives. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. And in closing, I'll say this. Paul's temperate teaching to the Ephesian church was a beautiful illustration of what can happen when the love of God is manifested in our lives. The Bible says that we are filled. I'm thankful we're filled. Ephesians 3.16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory 
to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. To be strengthened with the might of His Spirit in the inner man. To be filled. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. Amen. We are to be filled. We are unified. I'm thankful for the power of God that pulls the church together as a body. Amen. I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 and 1. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If you have unity, you're going to have to endeavor to keep it. Unity is not just a one-time gift that just moves in to stay. But you've got to endeavor to keep that. We are edified by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4 and 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together is compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying into the edifying of itself in love. I'm going to ask you to stand. There's in all of the scripture perhaps many illustrations, many examples of unselfish love. But I believe in 1 Samuel 18, there is a tremendous example in the love of David and Jonathan and their true friendship. True friendship. It's most likely among the greatest friendships of all Scripture. 1 Samuel 18 and 1. And it came to pass when he had made an end of the speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Now this is a very passionate passage of Scripture. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Amen. I'm thankful for the kingdom of God that has brought so many wonderful things into my life. Among those wonderful things have been wonderful people. Amen. If it had not been for the Jonathans in our lives or the Davids in our lives, where would we be? I'm thankful for those friendships that are so tightly knit together that when you pull it over here, it puckers over here. (laughs) We're just connected together. Connected together. One more Mother Teresa quote. She said, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, then there is no more hurt, but only love. If you love until it hurts, then there is no more hurt, but only love. I'm thankful for the love that God has shown to me, aren't you? God has shown in your life. Let's magnify Him together. Would you make an altar where you stand tonight? And could we just magnify the Lord together in this place? I love you, Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. 
For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.